It's good to be here this evening. Um, as most are aware, we um, have been doing a study in the book of Matthew. We took a break for several weeks to do some uh, studies regarding the fruit of the Spirit, but we're back in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 24. And um, Brother David and Brother Steve covered the first two parts of this chapter, and we'll cover the last part, although um, this evening there's uh, a lot of relation in terms of thought in, in chapter 25, but, uh, you know, outside of the, um, the book of Revelation, I would say that Matthew 24 is, is one of the more controversial chapters in the, the New Testament. There's a lot of different ideas and thoughts about that. I um, appreciate what uh, Brother David and Brother Steve have, have brought to us uh, on that, and the, the three of us had had some discussion going in about kind of our approach um, to this, and so um, I'll be, be wrapping up chapter 24 tonight, the verses uh, 36 through 51, and I've kind of given the, the, the study a title this evening, Be Ready to Flee uh, Destruction. And we want to go ahead and get uh, into the uh, study, the study tonight. We want to back up, though, first of all, and look at the first uh, few verses of uh, Matthew chapter 24, because this, um, for those that, that might have possibly missed some of the, the prior studies or, or sometimes, you know, I, I, I know after a couple of weeks, sometimes my memory gets a little hazy about things sometimes, but let's just look at the first, start by looking at the first three verses. It says, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. So this gives us the context. We're looking at the, the kind of the end of this chapter, but as we said, the, the thoughts that continue to, to go back to a lot of kind of this, this questioning that Jesus receives in the first few verses, and there's a lot of relation also in chapter 25. But it says that Jesus had gone out of the temple. This isn't too long prior to his crucifixion. And uh, uh, his disciples are, are kind of, they're at a distance. It appears to probably in the area of the Mount of Olives. And they're, they're at a distance where they can kind of see the buildings of the temple. And the disciples are, are pointing out and talking about some of the different uh, buildings in the temple. I guess admiring them. And uh, Jesus has kind of makes kind of an abrupt statement. He says, "See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down." So these were shocking things to them. You know, these were magnificent buildings. These were monumental buildings, but they were also, especially the the temple proper. They were central to the religion of the Jews, and these disciples had kind of grown up in awe of these, these buildings, probably the closest 
parallel, although it's it's maybe not a really good parallel, would be like if we were at the at the church building tonight and I said, you know, when we come back Wednesday night, there's not going to be a single stone left of this church building. Now, we don't revere the church building where we assemble in the same ways that the Jews revered the temple, but it is something that... Um, you know, we respect this, this building that we, we meet in. It's a place of worship for us. It's a place, not that we hold holy in the sense that the Jews held the temple holy, but it's, a, it's an important location. It's an important gathering place for us. And if I said, you know, when we come back Wednesday night, there's not going to be a stone, stone or a brick left on top of one another. So this these this was a this was a big impact. This was a big shock to his disciples. Jesus making this statement, and it says, "And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall be these things? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world?'" Now, something of of note: the 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 this last. Uh, question or part of the question and at the end of the world if you look at a lot of the modern and we're using the King James tonight but if you look at a lot of the modern translations the word the Greek word is is eon or aeon um, and a lot of the modern translations render it end of the the age as opposed to the end of the world but these these were big events that, that Jesus told them the temple's going to be gone, it's going to be destroyed, it's going to be wiped off the, the face of the earth. And his disciples were disturbed about this. They, they come to him and said, when is this going to happen? When are these things going to be? He's, and, and they associated, at least in, in their minds, and Jesus talks about his coming as well too, they associated the destruction of the temple with the, with the coming of Jesus and they associated it um, with the, the, end of the end of the age, the end of things as they knew it. And so these are the, the questions that they, they posed to, to Jesus. This is what they ask him about. These things were troubling them. These things were really um, bothering them. And I don't want to don't want to go back and, and rehab. We will have it'll take us plenty of time to um, look at the verses we're we're covering tonight. So I don't want to rehash a lot of what we've already studied. But I do want to start a few verses back in in Matthew chapter twenty four, and you know I think that the primary context and there's as Steve talked about there's possibly some allusions or references to the. The, the end of, of the end of time and the final judgment but I think the primary context if you go back and look to what Jesus was talking to his disciples about the primary context the primary um, concern here was was about the 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 end of the temple and about what that meant in verse 34 and 35 just backing up just prior to where we're going to start tonight, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So Jesus here says, these things that I'm talking about, these things that I'm about to talk to you about, he says, these things, he says, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So the, the primary context, I think the primary discussion here is about things that were going to impact things that were going to affect this generation 
Now, does that mean that the fact that the, the primary message here was to that generation, to those people living then, mean that these verses, this chapter, doesn't really mean anything to us? And the, the, the very clear answer is no. And we're going to talk about some, some things at the end, some, some applications. And I think that there's applications throughout this. And there's parallels between the destruction of Jerusalem, the end of that age, the end of that, um, the, the end of, of things as the Jews knew them. And there's parallels to the, to the end of the world and to the final judgment and to the attitude of readiness and preparedness that the Jews needed to have. We need to have a similar attitude, not that the, not that the end of time is going to be uh, exactly like the the destruction of Jerusalem was, but it's going to be it's going to be a monumental event. It's going to be literally an earth shaking event, just as this the events that happened around the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the of Jerusalem turned the world of these Jews, even the Jewish Christians, turned it upside down. So let's get to our, our chapter, or I mean rather our verses tonight from the chapter that we want to focus on, beginning in verse 36. It says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father also. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now one comment up here in front, Noah is just the the, uh, uh, Greek equivalent of Noah in Hebrew, and I know when I was younger and would read the New Testament, a lot of the time these things would kind of confuse me because you have Isaiah in the Old Testament and Isaiah and uh, the term Isaiah used in the New Testament and Noah used in the Old Testament and Noah uh, used in, I mean, Noah used in the Old Testament, Noah used in the New Testament, but it's, just, it's the same name. It's just a, a Greek form or a, a, the Greek equivalent of the, of the name Noah. But Jesus here in talking about the, the events that are, that are to, to happen, the things that are to transpire, he says that the, the timing or the exact timing of these things, we have just read in the prior verses, he said these things are going to happen in this generation. He says, he says but the, the timing, he says, the day and the hour knoweth no, no, knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he, he, he uh, gives this example of, of the th- way that the things were in, Noah, in the days of Noah. And in, Noah, in the days of Noah, you had a destruction. You had the destruction of the earth, not in the, the sense that the earth was, it will be destroyed at the end of time where it says the elements will melt with fervent heat. But you had a, an, an obliteration of the order of the way that things were at that point in time, and you had a, a near death of the the hum, the race of, of human and the, the race of, of animals as, as well too. But Jesus says just as things were in the time of Noah, he says in the in the coming of the Son of Man, and I think he's really 
what the coming he's referring to is the destruction of Jerusalem as being a type of coming of the Son of Man, although you could apply this, this same principle to the end of time. He says, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And I want, I'm going to come back to this, but I kind of highlighted a statement here. It says, and they knew not. It's not talking about Noah. Noah didn't know the exact time that the flood was coming himself, but he knew to be prepared. God had warned him. He says, you go and build an ark. So Noah and his family, although they, even they themselves didn't know the exact timing of the flood, they knew that they needed to be ready, and Noah had been making preparations with his family for many years. But, he, but it's talking here of the, if you want to use kind of a, a biblical or a biblical um, interpret, interpretive term, you could say the antediluvians. That's just a term that means those people that lived before the flood. But the, the antediluvians, the people that lived before the flood, they knew, they knew that they should have known better. It says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but in effect, the, the people living then had been ignoring Noah. And it says, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. These people that were living, other than Noah and his immediate family, were taken away. They met their destruction upon the, the coming of that uh, great flood that, that God had sent. In verses 40-41 are interesting. It says, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. So these verses, if we, we just read them and we don't, Think necessarily think about the meaning. These are, are kind of interesting verses. It says that there's going to be two working in the field. It says one shall be taken and the other left. It says two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Now I talked earlier about the controversy of this chapter and I don't want to get deep into the doctrines that are taught about this chapter because that's really not our purpose in trying to inform upon, about every um, doctrine or erroneous doctrine that, that's taught using the scriptures. But, but one doctrine that is taught is about the, the doctrine about the rapture. And those that believe in the rapture believe, you know, there's going to be an end of time. There's going to be a final judgment. But before that, there's going to be this event called the rapture in which the, those that are righteous or judged righteous by God are going to be called up or going to be taken up into heaven. And then everyone else is going to be left upon, upon the earth to, to face hardship and persecution and difficulties. And that the doctrine of the rapture, and you're not going to find the term rapture in, in that sense in the New Testament, but the doctrine of the rapture is partly based on Matthew chapter 24. It's partly based on Revelation. It's it's based in, uh, from different pieces from, taken from the Old Testament places in Zechariah and Daniel. But it's this, this doctrine or teaching is kind of pieced together using different scriptures. And often some of these, these verses in Matthew chapter 24 are used to 
support this, this idea about this, this, this rapture that's going to happen before the final judgment. And this is a very prominent uh, teaching. There was a series of books and then movies made about 15 to 20 years ago called Left Behind. And I've never, I've never read the books. I've never seen the movies. I didn't feel like it was appropriate to watch them. Perhaps they're, they're entertaining movies. I don't know. I've not seen them, but I certainly don't want to, to watch or in, in, in endorse something that I feel like is based on erroneous doctrine. But here, I believe the going back, we talked about the context and the, the warning here being to the people of that generation, it says that two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. So what does it mean by taken and left? Well, I think it sheds, we get some light shed on that if we go back to verse 39. It says, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So those that were destroyed by the flood, it were those that were taken, or the, the, it says that they, that, the flood came and took them away. They were taken away by the flood. So I believe here when it says that one shall be taken, it means that they were going to be taken by the Romans, by the, by the heathen Roman army, the, or the abomination of, of desolation, that, they were, that those were going to be taken. Now those that believe in the rapture say those that are taken are going to be those that are taken up to heaven to, to avoid this period of turmoil or trial or persecution there upon the earth. But if we look at the context and look at those prior verses, I believe the ones that it's talking about being taken are those that are going to be uh, to face uh, destruction or, or hardship at the hands of the Romans. It says the one shall be taken and the other left. And we'll, we'll talk a little later about what I believe it's talking about those that are left. It says two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. So this was going to be something that was going to impact a lot of people. And I'll, I'll give you a spoiler alert. I've got a little bit of Eusebius in here. I didn't include any passages from Josephus. But if you, if you ever want to study this very deeply, I would encourage you to, Joe, the, the historian Josephus, who was there present, he was a Jew that wound up being kind of an agent for the, the Romans there. Josephus wrote a history about the destruction of Jerusalem and about the, the series of events that transpired there. And I think Josephus uh, estimates that there were over a million people that were killed in the destruction of Jerusalem. There are many others that were, were taken away into to slavery, into captivity. It was a horrible event. And I think that what Jesus is trying to warn the people about is, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be taken. He says there's going to be some that are taken, but there'll they'll be, they'll be some that are, that are left. It wasn't going to be a total destruction of the, of the Jewish uh, people, but it was a near total destruction. We hear a lot today, and I don't want to, to, to minimize the Holocaust that happened during World War II, but we hear a lot about the, the destruction and the, um, the agony that was faced by the Jewish people and others during the Holocaust. Let me tell you, this was a Holocaust. This was a, this was a, a bad event and a very bad event for the, the Jewish people, and there were many that were that were that were taken that that never came home that that never came back 
Verse 42, it says, Watch therefore, for you know not the hour, you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known at what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched and it would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore also be ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Jesus gives this warning. He says, watch. He says, watch therefore, for you do know not which, know what hour your Lord doth come. And he gives this uh, example or parable about someone that's the, the, the household or the good men of the house. It says, if he known when the thief was coming, he would have watched and he wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken into or broken up. He would have made preparations for it. And Jesus is telling his disciples and telling those that are faithful, he says, you need to be watching, you need to be ready because when you see the, the Roman army, the abomination of desolation, you need to be ready to leave. And, uh, the, and once again, this is, is secular history, but Josephus, I think, is a good source of information. If you go and look at Josephus, According to Josephus, the city was besieged by the Romans. It was besieged there by, um, the, by Titus. And the city was, was, was besieged. The army initially withdrew and left the city. And many of the Jews thought, okay, things are fine. Things are good. Where the Romans have left, everything's going to be all right. But the Romans returned a second time. The abomination of desolation as it's referred to as Jesus, they came back a second time. And those that had heeded the warning of, G of Jesus, when they saw that Roman army, when they saw those, those, uh, those pagans with their, um, with their, their um, pagan insignias and their, their devotion to the, the gods of Rome, when they saw, when they saw that Roman army, they knew that it was when they had an opportunity, they needed to flee and, and get out of there. They didn't want to be taken by the Romans. Jesus had warned them. Verses 45 through 46, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give him the, the meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he findeth Find it when he cometh, find so doing. Verily I send you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. So Jesus here kind of gives another example or a, a parable here. He talks about a, a, a wise, and in a moment he'll talk about an evil servant, but he talks about a faithful and wise servant. And he says, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing, doing the will of the master. Verily I say to you that he shall make him ruler over all of his goods. Verse 48, but and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus here gives this, this, this other warning, and he uses this parable about a, a, a wise and an evil servant, and about how the wise servant is doing his master's business, is doing his master's bidding, and when that day, when that, that moment of judgment comes, he's ready and prepared. 
But the evil servant, it says, says in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming. He's, he's not coming anytime soon. And it says, and he shall begin to smite or to hit his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. That Lord of the servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him in an hour that he is not aware of. So Jesus is saying, be prepared. And we'll, if you, we'll be studying chapter 25 too, and there's more parables there. And these parables are about being prepared, about being ready for judgment, about being ready when the master shall appear. And you know, there was, a, there was a day of judgment. There was a reckoning for the Jewish people. And that, that happened in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed that city, when there was not a stone of the temple left upon another. That day of desolation, that day of destruction came. And there were many that were not ready. Now in a minute, we're going to read about those that were ready. From a, a Look at something from another secular historian, but one that I believe is a... Um, a reliable source, but um, but there were, but most most of those Jewish people they weren't ready. They hadn't made preparation. But Jesus is giving them an opportunity. He's giving them a warning. He says, "Destruction, judgment is going to happen upon this generation." And he says, "You need to be ready. You need to be prepared for that judgment." I want to look at a, a, par a parallel passage found in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 33. And this isn't exactly the same uh, context. Um, in Matthew 24, the context is the, um, the disciples asking Jesus about the temple. The context in Luke chapter 17 is the Pharisees questioning Jesus about the kingdom. But I think we can spot this as being a parallel passage to Matthew 24. If we look in Luke 17, verses 26 through 33, it says, As it was in the days of Noe, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noe entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. So in this parallel passage here, Jesus talks about the days of Noah. He also talks about the destruction of Sodom when Lot and his family were there. And notice verse 31, it says, In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not lies, not let him likewise not return back. Now Jesus isn't talking about the destruction of the world because the, the final ending and the final uh, judgment, because if that were the case, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter here. But he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, he says, in that day, he that will be upon the housetop. Now, he's not talking about sitting up on your roof like, 
working on your roof. As, as a lot of us are aware, the houses in the Middle East at this time, many of them had flat roofs and people would do work and use the, the top of their roofs for storage. So they weren't like the sloped roofs like ours. So he's not talking about someone sitting up on a sloped um, tile or, or asphalt roof, but he's talking about about someone being up on top of their house, their housetop to um, to do something, and he says, and their their items or belongings are down in the house. He says, "Don't come down to take it. If you see these things, if you see these signs, you just get out of there. You don't worry about the stuff that it's that's in your house." And he says, "He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. If you're out working lurking in the field, and you see the Roman army coming." He says, he says, don't go back. He says, you just run and get out of there with the clothes on your back and escape. In verse 32, he says, remember Lot's wife. You know, remember Lot's wife. They were told to flee the city of Sodom. They, God had told them they could seek refuge in Zoar, but they were running there, Lot and his wife and his two daughters, and Lot's wife looked back and it says she was turned into a pillar of salt. So Jesus here gives this, this warning, gives this warning here in Luke, and he references Noah, and he also references Lot. And both of them are, are warnings about for, for that generation, for that time, and about being prepared, and about when it was time to flee, when it was time to evacuate, you just needed to flee and evacuate. You didn't need to, to go back for belongings and go back for things. I took an, uh, took an excerpt here from Eusebius, and I've always tried to use extra biblical references sparingly, but this is, this is a very interesting one. Eusebius was someone that uh, was a, uh, a church historian. He wrote approximately two, this probably about 250, 260 years um, after the, the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, but Eusebius was commissioned by the Emperor Constantine, who had um, become sympathetic to, to Christianity and at the end of his life was supposedly converted to, to become a Christian. But he had, had uh, commissioned Eusebius to write a history of the church. And so this is an excerpt from the History of the Church, Book 3, Chapter, chapter 5. It says, But the people of the church in Jerusalem had been commanded by a revelation vouchsafed to approve men there before the war to leave the city and to dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella. And when those that believed in Christ had come thither from Jerusalem, then as if the royal city of the Jews and the whole land of Judea were entirely destitute of holy men, the judgment of God at length overtook those who had committed such outrages against Christ and his apostles and totally destroyed that generation of impious men. But the number of calamities which everywhere fell upon the nation at that time, the extreme misfortunes to which the inhabitants of Judea were especially subjected, the thousands of men as well as women and children that perished by the sword, by famine, and other forms of death innumerable, all these things, as well as the great many sieges which are carried out against the cities of Judea and the excessive sufferings endured by those that fled, that fled to Jerusalem itself is to a city of perfect safety. 
And finally, the general course of the whole war, as well as its particular occurrences in detail, and how at last the abomination of desolation proclaimed by the prophets stood in the very temple of God, so celebrated of old the temple which was now waiting its total and final destruction by fire. All these all these things anyone that wishes may find accurately described in the history written by Josephus. So Eusebius kind of, he, um, and he writes some more about uh, Josephus, and of course we have, um, still have the, uh, the, the writings of Josephus here, but, but uh, um, he kind of summarizes some of the, the destruction that happened there to the city of Jerusalem, but he also talks about the salvation of the, the church in Jerusalem. It says that, and he doesn't specifically um, reference here Matthew 24, but it talks about how that they had been commanded by revelation, vouchsafed to approve men that before the war to leave the city and to dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella. And I didn't do it to, um, I'd intended to get a, a map showing uh, Pella, but Pella was in the kind of uh, northeast of uh, uh, Jerusalem. It was on the other side of the Jordan River um, from the, the land of uh, Israel proper, but it was a place where the, the, the Christian Jews fled to, where there was a community there for, I believe, many centuries of, of uh, Christians that were of, of Jewish origins that had survived the, the destruction of the city because they had listened to the warnings of, of Jesus. And when they had opportunity to flee, when they saw the Roman army, they left, they got out of there. It, it refers to, and Josephus talks about this too, it refers to here, and it says, in the excessive sufferings endured by those that fled to Jerusalem itself as to a city of perfect safety. You know, there were many, there were actually more people in Jerusalem than the population at the time it was destroyed because partly it was a, I believe it was around the time of Passover, if I'm remembering correctly. But then also there were many in the countryside when they saw the Roman army instead of going away from Jerusalem, they said, Jerusalem's a walled city. I'm going to go there for safety. And so many that did not know and did not heed the warnings of Jesus Went, went into the city of Jerusalem instead of away. But the Christians here, as we're told, went away. They went to Pella to seek um, refuge. So some points to, to take away from tonight's study. Number one, God's destruction comes unexpectedly. You know, we read, looked at some of God's agents of destructions tonight. Number one, the waters of the flood that it talks about in Matthew 24 and Luke. The fire and brimstone of Sodom, which we, we read about in Luke. The abomination of desolation, we put in parentheses the, the heathen Roman army. And one of the, in, in Matthew 24, it refers to the abomination of desolation, but does not um, name it by name. But one of the other, um, one of the other gospels mentioned that the, that the Roman army is the, the abomination of desolation. So God, these are God's agents of, of destruction. But God also gives his people a path of salvation. You know, God warned Noah, told him to prepare an ark. In the case of Lot, if you go back and read there in Genesis, the Lot was told that he and his family could flee to the city of Zoar. 
We read in, from Eusebius about how the, the Jewish Christians, upon heeding the warning of Jesus, that they went to the city of Pella. Those who were taken were those who fell to the Roman army and were taken away, just as the evil men of Noah's day were taken away by the waters of the flood. Those who were left were those who heeded the words of Jesus and left Jerusalem and escaped to Pella. So we have those that were taken, those that were destroyed or taken into captivity by the Romans. Those that were, that were left, those that weren't taken, that weren't taken by the Romans who, who evacuated. Number two, watch, wake, and be vigilant. In the verses tonight, Jesus tells them, he says, watch. He gives them the example of the good man who, if he had known about the coming of the thief, and he says, watch, wake, be vigilant. No one, and this is an important point, whether we're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem or we're talking about the end of time, because there's been people for decades and centuries making predictions and saying, I know when, I know when the end's coming. I know when the day of destruction is. No one no matter how smart or how learned, knows the exact time of coming judgment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, and these are verses talking about the, the, the believe talking about the final end of time, but it says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, is travail upon a woman, and they shall not escape. So we need to watch, be awake, be vigilant. We don't know for sure. We know the day, that final, we don't have to worry today about the destruction of Jerusalem, but we do have to be concerned and be thinking about the, the ultimate final day of, of judgment of, of God and the, the, the final coming of the Son of Man. But, you know, no one knows the exact time, no matter how much you study Daniel, no matter how much you study Revelation, no matter how much you study Matthew chapter 24, any other verse. Paul here tells us very frankly, he told these Christians in the first century and he tells us, he says, I don't need to write to you about the times and seasons, he says, because these these things are coming like a thief in a night. So we need to watch, wake and be vigilant. Number three, understanding, and number three, we need to, and we need to understand the, the faithful versus the evil servant. That example that we read in the, the final verses about um, the, the parable that we're given about the, the two servants. You know, God's judgment is inevitable even if it seems distant to us. You know, this, this evil servant he knew that, the, the, that the, the master was coming back someday, but he says, my Lord delayeth his coming. He's taking his time. I've got all the time in the world. You know, and sometimes because we know that, or I shouldn't say we know, but we feel like, well, it's not later this evening or it's not tomorrow, it's not next week or it's not next month, and I don't need to worry about it. But God's judgment is inevitable, even if it seems distant to us. We must be ready by being faithful at all times. That was the solution. The solution wasn't knowing the, the exact moment or the exact time so we could get ready at that time. The solution as Jesus taught in, with the parable of the, the faithful and the evil servant was be ready at all times. Be prepared at all times. Be ready for that judgment. 
In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-9, through 9, it says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, you know, God isn't worried about time in the, the same way that we are. You know, we worry about time. We worry about, you know, is, is, it, is it time for Curtis to stop talking so we can get out of church? We worry about, is it, is it time for me to go to bed? We worry about, is it time for me to eat? Is it time for me to get up in the morning? You know, we're, we're, we're creatures and, and habits of time, especially in the, 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 the Western society that we live in. But Peter says, you know, God doesn't think about and he doesn't look at time in the same way. But he reminds us in verse 9, he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's not, um, he's not ignoring it and he's not thinking about it. But he says, God is long suffering to us who are not willing that should perish but all that should come to repentance. We need to, we need to be ready. We need to be the faithful servant that's continually ready, that's always prepared, that's at any moment would be ready for the, the return of the master. And we don't need to get hung up with those that are um, out there preaching doctrines or preaching things about it's going to happen at this time. It's going to happen at this moment. It's going to happen in this year. So far, nobody's got it right, and there's been a lot of predictions, and there's been a lot of, a lot of people that, that were very learned or claimed to be very learned that said it's happening at this day and it's happening at this moment. But as Paul said in, verse, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, but at the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. We don't need to know. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as the thief in the night. So that's the that's really the message to us from Matthew chapter 24. You know, whether we're thinking about the destruction of Jerusalem or we're thinking about the end of the world, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to understand and and you know the, the end of time is going to be different. The is going to be different from the destruction of Jerusalem. They had an opportunity to flee, but no one's fleeing the judgment at the end of the time. At the end of time, so we need to heed and be like that faithful servant that's continually ready and continually prepared. That concludes my my study and my thoughts this evening. Hopefully, they were um, enlightening. And, and Matthew chapter twenty four is a chapter that you can spend a lot of time studying about and. Um, I don't usually make uh, uh, recommendations on, on commentaries, but if you're really interested in going deeper into this, uh, one commentary I would recommend perhaps taking a look at is, is Albert Barnes' commentary. I think he does a, a nice job, but you know, with always there's com when you're dealing with commentaries, you have to be very careful about what you read, but there's, there's information that you can look at the, the writings of Josephus, some of the writings of, of Eusebius and other things, but, but um, um, hopefully what we've prepared or what we've brought to you tonight has, has been helpful in, in helping you better understand, better think about this, this chapter and its context. As we always do, we offer an opportunity if there are any 
tonight that are subject to the call for baptism for the remission of sins. If you are subject to that call, we always offer that. Also, if there be any that have a need of prayer, we have the opportunity to, to pray for one another if, if you need it, need that prayer as we sing the song of invitation. <laughs>